Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Next week, Michigan's largest school district is going to return to in-person classes for the first time since November. Detroit Public Schools Community District Superintendent Nikolai Vitti has been one of the staunchest advocates for providing in-person options for students and families throughout this pandemic. But when the rate of positive COVID-19 tests exceeded 5% last fall, the district went all virtual. Now, infection rates are down significantly in Detroit, and administrators say health risks are low enough to open school buildings again. But VD is also blasting Republicans in the state capitol for holding up millions of federal COVID relief dollars that are meant to help schools reopen safely. That's where we begin the conversation this uh, this Friday, and uh, Nikolai Vidi now joins me to talk about the return to classrooms for Detroit students and teachers, as well as his frustrations with GOP lawmakers. Dr. Vidi, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. Always good to uh, be on your show and uh, talk to you. Sure. So let's start with how the last few months have gone with school buildings closed. As I mentioned, You've been a really powerful voice in the argument for offering in-person options for students, but even you felt like the health risks weren't worth it uh, because of this this spike this fall. So what has shutting down schools meant for students, teachers, staff, and families in Detroit? Well, you know, for, for us, when you, when you talk about being a staunch, a staunch advocator to have in-person learning, it, for, for us and, and for me, it was really about equity, uh, meaning uh, it was not about imposing that um, option on parents, um, not even teachers. It was really about offering the opportunity because I, the traditional public school system, I think, has to offer the same uh, educational options in a pandemic, uh, assuming that it is safe to do so, and it was, uh, that uh, private schools offer or uh, suburban school districts. So, you know, we always have to think about equity in Detroit uh, because our students um, come from backgrounds that uh, can be disadvantaged, and we obviously are trying to overcome a legacy uh, of uh, racial discrimination. And, uh, and so keeping the schools open, if other schools are open, is about uh, equitable access. But with that said, it, w- it was one of the harder decisions that I've made as superintendent to close schools, and obviously the school board agreed. And what I learned uh, in November was um, the infection rate is not just a number. And what I mean by that is, you know, we set the 5% threshold um, because we knew we had to be more conservative, more cautious, uh, with COVID because of the disproportionate impact it had on Detroit and the black community. And it was a, uh, a, net, a, a legitimate sensitivity, still is, and fear about COVID in Detroit. So that 5% number was much more conservative than even the, the American Federation uh, Teachers Union was saying at the time, which was 10% or higher. And may, most national experts then uh, were saying 10% or higher. You know, some districts were still open at 15%. But um, going back to your question, uh, when we started to see rates um, go from three to four to five to six to seven, that wasn't just a number, meaning those positive cases were starting to trickle into the school system, into individual schools. And we are seeing positive rates mainly among our employees. And, and what was happening is we had to close the cafeteria at certain schools. We had to 
uh, shut down learning for second grade or a particular grade. It became very disruptive um, to just the flow of what we were trying to accomplish educationally. But it, it also became um, problematic from being able to legitimately tell people that I felt we could keep people safe. Now, our employees have always done a great job with the mitigation strategies and implementing them um, from wearing a mask, temperature check, symptoms check, you know, six feet of distance. Uh, we've done that well. We had no outbreaks until November, and that speaks to uh, implementing those with fidelity. We have a team that reviews the implementation of strategies outside of administration that literally do reviews at schools uh, with a checklist to ensure, and that comes back to me and the board. So I know we can keep uh, employees and, and students safe. We proved that already. But when that infection rate starts to increase, then you're dealing with issues outside of schools, um, and it becomes harder to, to then say people are safe. Once we close schools, we saw what we knew we would see. Um, the students that were coming to school regularly, their attendance dropped by um, 15 percentage points um, between November and now. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the hard part of, of closing schools. But I, I'm very optimistic now that we uh, have our learning centers open and, and in-person learning returns on Monday. I'm very optimistic that with the rollout of the vaccine, um, and unfortunately with more people with COVID, which creates more immunity, uh, I don't. I think this is going to be the last time we have to. Uh, we're going to open up schools or close schools in a pandemic um, moving forward, unless there's a, a variant that we don't understand that that uh, will catch fire. So I, I want to go back just for a second uh, to the decision to close schools because of this spike in rates, uh, there, there is something about that decision that you had to make um, that, that calls on the equity question that swirls around all of this. The, the, the rate of, of COVID infection has been higher in Detroit since the pandemic started. Everybody knows that. And as we approached the reopening of schools last fall, it felt like it was incumbent on state officials uh, in, in the Capitol and, and, and other places to, to figure out ways to deal with the particular issues that we have in districts like Detroit, where rates are higher and they just have been and they will continue to be. And the fact that we had this, this spike in, in infections and that you had to ultimately shut down buildings in some way, to me, reflects the the continued inability and unwillingness of those state officials to treat this differently when you're talking about districts like Detroit and 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 cities like Detroit. And there's there's just a level of frustration that I almost can't even express with uh, with with the fact that that just keeps happening over and over throughout this. Well, uh, well said as always. Um, I, I, you know, I, I dealt with this in Florida, um, and it is, and it is even more uh, pronounced in Michigan, even even compared to Florida. Believe it or not, with this issue of not differentiating, with this issue of not being sensitive um, to other communities, and you know, Lisa Delfit, I remember, uh, you know, she has a, a famous book that was written for educators. And it's a and and I I think that the name of the book is teaching other people's children, um, and it's all about uh, really white educators uh, educating black children, 
Uh, and it's like you can you can write a book called uh, Legislating for Other People's Children. Um, <laughs> and our legislature needs to read that book um, because they have absolutely no clue uh, about poverty, about race. And they legislate, you know, based on their needs of their own constituents um, in a very selfish way. Uh, blindsided way that perpetuates inequality, perpetuates the difficulty of race relations, trust, um, and it just bifurcates the, the, the state um, in an unnecessary way that unfortunately um, just creates more disadvantage, more frustration um, for school districts, educators, leaders that are trying to help our most vulnerable children. Uh, and, it, and it is extremely frustrating. It's, it's extremely frustrating for me to see policies that would never, ever, ever be enacted in, in the communities in which many of these legislators live uh, and represent. You know, it, it, to go back to your opening, we're talking about millions of dollars that were, that were lawfully allocated to the state to simply pass forward. Hmm. That's it. That's, all, that's, all, that, that's their only role in federal allocations. But yet they're holding it up because of uh, issues with the governor. And, you know, yes, I agree that the governor should set metrics and, and should talk about metrics. But, you know, that doesn't justify withholding COVID funds for more testing um, uh, for for uh, school relief um, and, you know, many other COVID-related expenses. But that would never happen if there was an earmark for their communities. But, oh, it's okay because it's not our kids, it's not our community, it's not the, it's not the zip codes that we represent. That, that's unconscionable to me and, and immoral. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Dr. Nikolai Vitti. He's the superintendent of the Detroit Public Schools Community District. We're talking about the return of in-person learning here in the city uh, of Detroit after schools were closed down last November because of a spike in COVID cases. Uh, We're also talking about the money that is sitting in Lansing waiting to be distributed to districts all over the state uh, that GOP lawmakers are using as a kind of wedge to try to force Governor Whitmer's hand uh, on some control issues over uh, the restrictions that are set because of COVID-19. If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. How are you feeling about the return of school in so many Michigan school districts, including here in Detroit? Do you think it's the right time to be going back to more in-person instruction options? Uh, call us if you're a parent or a teacher or a student whose school has been already offering that instruction. What have you been doing? Have you been taking advantage of that? Or are you kind of sitting back and waiting to see how things go and if they uh, improve. Also, give us a sense of what your reaction is to uh, GOP lawmakers saying that they won't release federal funds for a lot of different things, including schools, unless Governor Whitmer agrees to uh, relax some of the control that she has over uh, COVID restrictions, give them more of a say uh, in, in how all of that works. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, it will will work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to listeners, Dr. Vidi, I want to I want to talk a little about uh, what you're telling students and teachers and families who might be nervous about returning. Uh, to school and give us a sense of how prepared you feel like you can be even as 
GOP lawmakers continue to hold up this money. This money would make the reopening go smoother, is my assumption. Uh, but talk about the ways that you're having to work around that. So right now, um, we're, we're in a good position uh, financially. I'm, I'm not concerned where we are right now. Uh, you know, I think that the governor and the legislature, from a funding perspective in, in the pandemic, uh, as it relates to school, did a good job going into this year. They funded schools based on 75% of enrollment uh, before the pandemic, the year before the pandemic, and then 25% this year. Uh, Congress uh, passed uh, what we call in the education world CARES Act II, which was COVID relief fund uh, for the next two years, although Michigan Department of Education, uh, again, another example of uh, making decisions that really aren't connected to the reality of running schools, mm. when, you know, took a, a two-year process and narrowed it to one and changed their mind uh, in the middle of the year. So we will spend that $85 million and, and and this is why, the additional money uh, for us, it'll be $350 million, uh, for the next two years is going to be important as it's allocated rather soon because we've got to spend 85 by the end of this year. So, you know, financially, we're in a good position. But if we don't receive this money rather soon, it disrupts our ability, for example, to dramatically expand summer school this, um, this summer, which we plan to do to, to make up on, on learning loss. Uh, we want to continue to provide our employees hazard pay. Uh, to work in the summer um, and to come back in, in the fall. Uh, we want to use these funds to expand uh, after-school programming, enrichment programs, even uh, introduce Saturday school next year. So all of those plans are halted until we, we are ensured we have those funds because we don't have other funds to use as we go and plan for the next fiscal year. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's Let's start with Heather in Ferndale. Heather, welcome to the show. Good morning. I just want to say, actually, I want to put out a challenge to all the listeners that we turn the Michigan GOP, uh, Michigan legislature, blue in 2022. Mm. They just have no moral conscience anymore. They ought to be releasing this money. They've given Gretchen Whitmer a hard time this entire time around COVID, they're not really interested in working with anybody and how they can, I, it's just, they just have no conscience anymore. So I hope everybody works really, really hard to get more democratic representation in our legislature in 2022. Yeah. Heather, you know, the, the, the thing that's so frustrating about what they're doing is, that it is about power. It's about control. It's about who gets to make decisions uh, as opposed to thinking about the substance of what we're dealing with, which is, of course, a pandemic that uh, is quite dangerous, has taken a lot of lives, and has made everything that we're trying to do a lot a lot harder. And, and Dr. Vitti, you know, I think you're absolutely right when you said that, look, there ought to be more transparency about the governor's Decision-making, there there could certainly be a possibility for more shared decision-making, but to to use the the public health of our students and of teachers and other people who work in schools, you know, as the leverage point there is really just, uh, you know, um, it's mind-boggling that this is what we're fighting about, especially at this point in the pandemic. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I think most people 
that are paying that are now paying attention to this. I don't think the the attention really didn't start happening until the beginning of this week. Um, and you know, sometimes I'll go back and forth with people on social media. I I, I I'll abandon the engagement when it starts to get personal or nasty. But if it's about the the substance of of the issue, I actually go back and forth because I I learn from that, and I and I also think I have an an opportunity. Uh, to create greater awareness. But to that point, there's a lot of, um, which I assume uh, they're staunch Republicans, uh, will go back and forth with me. And and they didn't even understand that this was federal money. They think it's state money. They think this is about building the state budget, which we all know that there, unfortunately, our horses are traded and and there are, you know, things that happen politically with state money. And that makes sense that the legislature, that's part of their role. But not federal money, and and when I turn to chat conversation and say this is this is money that was actually approved by the former Republican president and the, and the former Republican Congress, they start to lose the argument. <laughs> um, but you know it goes back to awareness. But I even think that in these communities that are traditionally uh, Republican areas, if they knew what their legislators were doing right now, I actually believe that there was a poll taken. Most would disagree with this type of strategy. Mm. Uh, again, Heather, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Mark in Fraser. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Uh, um, I'm wondering, uh, talking again about the powers, I mean, it seems to me that these are powers that belong in the legislative branch that she's using. Otherwise, they would be taking it to courts like they've done before. So why is it valid for them to ask her to give up powers that belong in the legislative branch and what would be their response if she was asking them to give up legislative powers to her right you're, you're saying that you think you think the powers that they're talking about uh are in the executive branch right not the legislative i'm not branch. sorry i meant in the executive branch yeah they belong in the executive branch yeah I, it's and, a it's a great question, Mark, and and you know it is about politics. It's it's that they disagree substantively with with what she's doing, and they think that they should have you know more control over it. I mean, there there isn't there isn't a better explanation for it than that. I don't think. Uh, I mean, this is just about not wanting her to be able to to do things the way that she has you know she has decided to respond to uh, this public health threat. Um, Mark, there. Uh, thanks again for the call and the comments. Let's quickly go to Joe in uh, Rochester Hills. Joe, welcome to the show. You there, Joe? Steven, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, this. Uh, you know, the thing that burns me about this whole, the whole discussion is, you know, it's all. It is all about the power, but nobody's thinking about the kids here, um, and they're not. They're not thinking about the kids and or the parents. Um, I mean, I've, I've been exposed to some instances where, you know, the parents can't cope with this, this problem we have, you know, and, and I mean, they're breaking down too, which means the kids are breaking down and, uh, and our legislatures, uh, is, I mean, it's nothing about staying in and covering their butts. Um, they're not working for the people. I mean, we got to get them out. I mean, and this is, this is at the Michigan level. It's at the, it's at the federal level. It's across the board. I mean, you know, and this is just another symptom, uh, you know, that uh, of the way they operate. And, and this can be, quite frankly, um, this could be Republican or Democrat. I mean, it, it, it falls on all sides. 
Yeah, uh, I absolutely uh, appreciate the call and the comments. Before before I let you go, Dr. Vidi, um, can you talk just a little about what you're hearing from from parents in particular about the eagerness to get back to in-person learning? Sure. Um, definitely an increase. Um, we, we see that we, so what we committed to is to survey our parents every quarter. So in, in an academic year, there are four quarters, two semesters. Um, what we saw at the beginning of the year uh, was about uh, 20% of our families being comfortable with um, uh, in-person learning or a hybrid. And that is now expanded to about 40%, um, and it's growing. Um, so we're going to see uh, about uh, 20,000 or more students back in schools on Monday. Uh, there are about 5,000 students back in the schools as of uh, the 24th of February. So as um, the vaccine rollout happens, um, as more positive information is given to, to families about in-person learning, I think, I think families are going to start to come back. I think they're really going to start coming back when our teachers come back. So we negotiated an LOU that allows for choice. Uh, we do have more um, teachers coming back, but unfortunately not as many to meet the demand of our teachers, of our students. I think that's going to be an ongoing conversation throughout the spring. And hopefully that will improve by the, the fourth quarter. And then we have to negotiate a new LOU for, for next fall. But um, really what's on my mind right now is meeting the demand of, of, uh, of, of, of students and families. And what families are saying right now is, you know, for most of them, online learning is not working, but they're still fearful of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so although things have improved and the numbers are increasing, I think everyone, this goes back to what you and I were talking about, the opening of your show, is that we all we have to differentiate between what's happening in Detroit and what's happening in, you know, in Plymouth uh, or, um, you know, in other places of Michigan, because where our families are, are at from a for just a, a feeling of comfort school and COVID, mm-hmm. it's going to take time. So we're going to be always a little bit behind based on the fear of COVID. And I think as a school system, we just have to continue to meet our families where they're at in person, online. And there are hybrid structures that we can move to. Uh, the city has done a great job with the rollout of the vaccines, uh, prioritizing our teachers. Uh, that has not been an issue at all. Uh, so we just got to move forward with our teachers and our students and just feeling more comfortable with in-person learning. And then hopefully the legislature allows for the differentiation so those families that want online can continue to, to learn online throughout this year and next year. Okay. Uh, Dr. Nikolai Vidi, superintendent of the Detroit Public Schools Community District. Always great to have you here on the program. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Netflix documentary Framing Britney Spears and whether we're doing the necessary work to reconsider and change the really misogynistic attitudes towards women in the entertainment business. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.